You're listening to the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, John Clark, helping you build a better business without all the overwhelm. And speaking of overwhelm, man, becoming a parent is not for the faint of heart or parenting a newborn is not for the faint of heart. So if you've noticed, I've been a little inconsistent with this podcast lately. That's why. It's for good reason, I promise you. But um, that just means that uh, for the next couple months, maybe I might not be publishing a podcast every single week, but maybe every other week. The good news is um, you've got a plethora of uh, episodes in our backlogs to go through all the way back to episode one, which was a long time ago, trip down memory lane. Um, But you can pick through and, and find episodes that are relevant to you right now in your business, whether you're working on finance or um, uh, leading your team or marketing or passive income, whatever it is, you can find it here within the Private Practice Workshop podcast um, uh, thread or um, uh, feed, I should say. So uh, that's kind of what to expect uh, moving forward, but we got plenty of stuff for you. And again, uh, just another reminder, we've got plenty of stuff for you over on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in Private Practice Workshop and hit the subscribe button. We've got loads of videos there. And uh, again, we're one of the biggest uh, YouTube channels in the private practice industry, um, which is really exciting. So you can head there as well for tons of free content. Anyway, um, in this episode, we are sitting down with um, uh, Dr. Tara Egan. She's a school psychologist and a therapist uh, and a parent coach uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, talking about her journey through private practice um, and uh, working with parents and families and kind of finding her way, scaling her business through other methods like podcasting, online courses. Uh, we talked about the power of writing books and publishing books for her. And um, uh, it, was a, it was a really neat episode. I think you'll enjoy the conversation uh, quite a bit. So there you have it. Without further ado, let's dive in. Dr. Tara Egan is on the show with me today. Tara, it's good to see you. How are you Thank doing? You so mu- Thank you so much for having me. It wouldn't be a podcast without 16 minutes of tech issues on both of our ends. So Yeah, but we didn't yell or swear. So I did. I just had I just muted my mic so you wouldn't hear me. <laughs> I don't even know how to do that. And then I sneezed. <laughs> got, got that out of the way before I hit record. <laughs> That's planning. It's okay. We're, we're not live, so we can we can make these mistakes. You know, life's yeah. messy like that. Tara, I gave the uh, the kind of official intro in the very beginning here, um, but um, besides that, what else should people know about you? Well, I think the main thing that I want to highlight is just that you know I own a business in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's strictly a therapy business, but I also have an additional website and um, sort of brand that's called Dr. Tara Egan. And that's where I promote things like the books that I write, the podcasts that I host, some of the online courses that I do. So it just sort of extends me beyond the North Carolina area. Mm -hmm. So talk about, first of all, your practice itself and how uh, how you built it. Well, it started, I used to be a school psychologist. And I worked in schools for a really long time. And I got divorced. 
And during my divorce, I realized I needed something that was more flexible and that I could spread my wings because school psychology is interesting as it is. It's very like structured. And for me, it just was a little understimulating for a Mm -hmm. while. So when I switched to doing work with parents and kids and I took all that training and applied it to working with families, particularly on issues related to kids with anxiety, Mm -hmm. parents who are going through separation and divorce. And then over time, it evolved where I started working with families about how to teach their kids how to use technology and social media in a really moderate, healthy way. Mm -hmm. My business started to grow and... I started to learn, honestly, with a lot of support from you and some colleagues about how to focus on the marketing and the business end versus just thinking about the clinical side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's important to have focus on both uh, both parts of it, right? And it comes more naturally to some than to others. Well, in school psychology, you know, we're not taught anything about it in grad mm-hmm. school because most of us work in a school setting where yeah. you don't worry about insurance, you don't worry about finding clients, your team is right there at your fingertips. So to go into a solo practice and keep connections with colleagues and then think about things like marketing and um, office space yeah, and making sure that you're offering services that really speak to what families need, that was just a different experience for Mm -hmm. me. You know, it's interesting because most school psychologists are, like you said, are not either prepared for private practice or end up in private practice, right? The clear path is to get a a job in a school and maybe, you know, potentially work there your whole career. So um, when it comes to communicating to consumers, how you help and how your background ties in and everything and why your school psychologist is not in a school per se, um, how do you kind of frame that up given that it's, you're a little bit outside the model that, that a lot of folks are in? Well, also just to clarify is when I moved to private practice, I did additional coursework and training to be Mm -hmm. a licensed counselor. So I had additional training. It wasn't that I solely just shifted school psychology to private practice. So, But when I communicate with parents and explain what I do, it's important for them to know that I'm very solution focused. Mm -hmm. So when you're a school psychologist, you don't, even if you work with a child in a counseling modality, you're really there to have them enhance their skills to reach their potential Mm -hmm. in the school environment. And then there's another, you know, you move on and there's another child you have to see. Mm -hmm. So in my solo practice model, I explained to parents that my goal is for them to have a relief of symptoms, Mm -hmm. honestly, as soon as possible and make sure that their family's functioning in a way where they can enjoy each other and get stuff done and have positive communication. Mm -hmm. But it's not a relationship where I'm delving into the issues that the parents had in their family of origin. Yeah. Or, you know, if, if there's a something like that, a factor that like that that needs to be addressed, then oftentimes I refer that part out. Mm-hmm. I'm working on families and creating healthy routines, communication. How are we going to get kids to go to school and do a good job and come home and participate in their world outside of technology and interact in a healthy way mm-hmm. with their siblings? And once families get a nice consistent relief of symptoms and they're ready to move on. So that's the school psych in me. Mm-hmm. It's pretty matter of fact. It, it's interesting because, um, well, a, a lot of people by and large don't have any clue 
what the heck our backgrounds or credentials or certifications or whatever mean. Um, people commonly confuse psychiatrists with psychologists. They don't, you know, what's counseling? What's the, is that the same as therapy? In, in reality, it, it doesn't really matter to the consumer as much as the consumer is trying to get where they're going. Like you said, fo- being solution oriented, focusing on results for your clients and just focusing on doing really good work, regardless of the framework, regardless of its therapy versus you know parent coaching or whatever you might kind of call it, right? Those people, um, they're just trying to see themselves in their future situation as a result of working with you, right? That's um, true. Parents are oftentimes, by the time they get to me, they've oftentimes seen other therapists and they're feeling pretty hopeless or helpless at the amount of maybe aggression they're seeing from their kids, the amount of yelling that's happening. Uh, There might be things like kids are either leaving the house without permission or there's a lot of power struggles or rule breaking or sneaking Mm -hmm. behavior or dishonesty. And so these are families often who feel very much in crisis Mm -hmm. and where my training comes up is just reflecting on then my goal is to have a relief of symptoms pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and that I will collaborate with whomever else needs to be involved, whether it is a physician or it's an occupational therapist or it's the school and tie all of our work together. So it's really cohesive and kind of a wraparound experience for Mm -hmm. the family. So I unique too. most, most practitioners um, don't have the time or energy or, you know, see it as beneath them or something to do more of this almost case management stuff or collaborating with other providers. But the reality is like, if for, especially with a, a kid or teenager, if we just see them in the context of, Hey there, you, you froze, whoops. you froze for a second. Okay. Um, yeah. So you said, <clears throat> but the reality is, and then you disappeared. The reality is if we just see a kid or a teenager in the context of a 45 minute therapy session, it's really, uh, it's really leaving out a a bigger part of their life and the environment in which they're living in or or struggling in, right? But right, yeah. You also, you also the the thing is, you have to be able to charge for those <laughs> those t- that time on the road to go do a you know a school observation or to go meet with other providers or whatever it is. And so, I think that's probably the reason why a lot of therapists don't do the additional kind of legwork, even though it would really benefit the client to take this kind of wraparound approach. Well, and that to me is why it was an easy decision for me to not involve insurance companies. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to justify every service that I do Mm -hmm. as far as parents expecting to get reimbursement or have their insurance cover it. So I'm pretty, I have a pretty extensive um, professional disclosure form. I make sure that communication is really upfront about the type of service that I'm offering. I kind of explain, I'm sort of going to get into their business Mm -hmm. and you know, I want to be responsive. And so in order for me to be able to balance having that more, you know, intensive service, then I need to make sure that it's doable with my schedule. Mm -hmm. So that's always a work in progress because it is, because I am offering a unique service. When someone calls me, it is tempting to be like, okay, I'll, I'll just work with this additional family. They're really struggling. I, I can fit it in. And it doesn't mean that I ever sacrifice on the quality of service to a different family. It just means that my personal family life and, and mm-hmm. free time gets cut into. So I have to be really mindful of that. And I can tell when that's, if I'm feeling that way. I can start to mm-hmm. feel a little worn out. And I feel like I do a pretty good job, whether it's 
slowing down the number of cases I'm working with or taking a weekend and like going to the beach or doing something that's just letting go of some of the more stressful aspects of my job. Mm -hmm. And I am pretty good about limiting the number of high conflict divorce cases I take at a particular time because those are very, uh, take a lot of energy, take a lot of patience, a lot of attention to detail, a lot of documentation. So I really don't keep more than three of those at a time. And if it means I have to turn down a case and refer them to somebody else, then I will mm -hmm. in order to keep that, that qu quality service available. It's a, it's a matter of uh, fine tuning, you know, boundaries and schedule and expectations with clients is like 80% of running a private practice. It's actually, uh, I think uh, it, it's where a lot of the harder parts of private practice are um, in terms of actually, you know, not letting it be a slippery slope or not ending up working twice as much as you would have be, you would be working at a school, you know, or as a full-time employee. That's the irony that a lot of therapists kind of find themselves in is, um, we're pretty bad by and large at, you know, setting boundaries or expectations, but, um, the reality, you know, we're, we therapists and I like to pick on therapists and guess what? I'm one of them. We are too people pleasing by nature. And so when that client calls or whatever, wants an additional 20 minutes of yours, therapists have a really hard time charging or they have a really hard time, you know, communicating expectations or saying, listen, this is not this is time outside of a session or you can book a 20 minute call with me and you'll be charged. Like therapists just have a really hard time doing that sort of thing. And yet when you communicate really clearly and with like uh, that level of professionalism to your clients, they actually regard you um, better. Your relationships are better. They're more bought in. They take you more seriously. Right. Versus if you're just kind of like super loose with your time, all, all, you know, around every corner and um, and not charging for those 20 minute phone calls or whatever it is, right? It doesn't really communicate your value or your, your professionalism very much. Right. And I think that I've been fortunate that, especially in the last couple of years, as I've really fine-tuned my business model, I do have clients who are generally respectful to, to respectful of my expertise. And, you know, we don't have that insurance Mm -hmm. conundrum to deal with in the beginning anyway they understand this is an investment in their family and like I said they're often at a crisis point where they may be considering having looking into whether or not their child should be placed in a residential treatment facility mm -hmm. which is going to be way more expensive than I yeah. would ever be yeah. or going legal in a divorce case which once again is so cost prohibitive so yeah. there's aspects in which that is relieving for for clients any yeah. anyway but I think too is when I when you combine the firm boundaries with some nurturing, you know, for example, I had a, a client whose father passed away and I made a point to, you know, send a text after the funeral and just say, I'm thinking of you. Mm -hmm. And that for me goes a long way in having them understand that, yeah, I'm taking there's considerable resources that are being utilized to have me be involved in your family, but I also am invested. Mm -hmm. Like I'm here to help. So for me, I've found that that really helps with that, like yeah. balance. It's interesting because um, by and large, people are not prone to uh, take basically preventative measures. It's like the reason why a lot of preventative health is uh, doesn't really get very far. Or you even see like insurances and uh, medical companies now like putting more effort into getting people to 
to focus on their health before they get sick, right? Versus mm-hmm. um, the model that is more prevalent of um, when things are really, really bad, when you're really, really sick, you know, then you're willing to kind of do whatever it takes, right? But again, like working with you and spending that money or that investment or whatever, um, potentially preventing something worse or bigger or more expensive, you know, it's, it, it's hard to get people to really, to see that, you know, to like prevent future pain in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But also I think it's a compelling argument for doing the the services, right? It's like, um, but yeah, I just think it's interesting in terms of when are people ready to change and when are they ready to, you know, to actually start to to make moves. And we have to kind of understand that position and understand how to position ourselves in as, as part of that solution. Well, I think that when it comes to children, that is one place where parents, I mean, they'll sacrifice themselves. They'll sacrifice their marriage, their own mental mm-hmm. health, their time, their boundaries. But a lot of parents, as soon as their kids are experienced discomfort or suffering, they will prioritize. Yeah, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's I mean, another thing. Is. Yeah, with me mm-hmm. working with kids, you know, parent parents want to, they might not necessarily be proactive, like enough, like in an ideal world, if we had a magic wand, they might have, it might have been a better choice to reach out to me even two years ago. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like once they have heard, you know, what I could offer, what my experience is, how I've helped other families, then they're like, oh yeah, okay, I get this. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. So usually either families say, you know, we're not ready for this or, or we don't have the time or the, the funds or whatever to allocate, or they're all in and you know, they'll see it too through, whether it's collaborating with other professionals or even a residential placement or rehab or something like that, like they'll, they'll really get invested in this is their chance to help their kid and they don't want to lay down at night and not feel like they did everything. Yeah. Well said. Let's talk about the business a little bit. Um, because you, um, what was going on in your business? Um, like when you first reached out to me or when we started working together, I had had my solo practice for a handful of years. During part of that time, I was very involved in my divorce and a custody battle. So I did not have the real estate mentally to do, um, to kind of light that fire. I just had other things I had to prioritize for my own kids and family. But when that cleared, I was really ready. Like I am, I'm a hard worker. I'm I like projects. I I like to be busy. It makes me feel very good about myself. It's an area of strong competence in me. Mm -hmm. And so when I freed up some of that um, stress, I was really ready to dive in. And at that point, I had really consistent clients. Um, I had some really nice referral sources, but my schedule wasn't full enough where I, I felt like I had the ability to put more boundaries around it. So it was like, okay, I have enough clients and I'm doing okay as far as providing support for my children, mm-hmm. but I'm still working like every Saturday or I'm working three evenings a week really late. Or mm-hmm. worse, there's times where there was certain clients that while I felt like I was providing a high quality service, wasn't my ideal client. And so that was really motivating for me when I started connecting with you and um, Business Made Human is really being able to have a more clear cut vision for what my business could be, what I wanted it to be, how it could 
um, translate into more of a viable income and then where I could still keep that intellectual stimulation and working on new and exciting projects, that was very motivating for me. Yeah, the the reality is um, most business owners just evolve kind of by happenstance or by reacting to what's next whatever's in front of them, you know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't plan on getting an insurance panel, but I was low on clients. So I just did. Right. Or I didn't plan on becoming a group practice owner, but I got full and I had a waiting list. So I just did. So I just hired someone. It's like the accidental business owner. And, you know, it's in business made human. We, we spend a good bit of time trying to, to first of all, sketch out a vision for your business and your life, and then trying to make decisions that are in line with that vision and um, just bringing intention to more of, you know, business ownership and, and uh, making decisions while also growing and scaling and making more money and doing all those things that are, that are fun and a really important part of it. And, and we cover the tactics in terms of how to get there as well. So, so you had, um, I, I know a while back you had uh, like a blog that I guess mm-hmm. is primarily about parenting stuff that started to get some traction. It was a blog that, uh, speaking of intention, I don't know what your t- original intention was other than sharing your ideas and your expertise, but tell me more about that blog and what happened and then also kind of what you're doing now in that, that realm of personal branding and content. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that because I don't think of it often, but it was it's hugely influential. So prior to me even opening Charlotte Parent Coaching, as I was still working as a school psychologist and finishing up my doctorate, I just started a parenting blog, like that that stereotypical mommy blog. And I have a good sense of humor. Writing comes easily to me. I had these little kids that provided endless stories. And then I went through a divorce where, where and even though I try, you know, I tried to be respectful of everybody's privacy, I did sort of share what it was like to go and sort of plunge into single parenthood and things mm-hmm. like that and have these two small children. So it did gather, you know, some nice attention and a publisher reached out to me. I think they sent an email to my business email address and then they, and I didn't respond cause it looked like spam. And then they reached out and emailed me through the blog and I was like, Oh, this could be real. And so I talked to them and they said, well, you know, you have a nice writing style. You clearly know a lot about kids development. We're looking, Mm -hmm. we're opening a new branch of our publishing company where we're going to be providing resources for parents. We would love it if you could write a book on managing behavior in young children. Mm -hmm. And so initially I was like, no, my services are so individualized. That just seems you know, not really a reflection of who I am. And then I got to thinking and I was like, well, I do say a lot of the same things over and over. Maybe I could just like write down those down. So that was, it was a good experience. I mean, I had to create the book proposal, everything from scratch, you know, write it all. I had deadlines. And mm-hmm. um, at that time, you know, I still had a lot going on stress-wise mm-hmm. with the divorce, but it was a huge sense of pride and purpose for me to write that book. And so that was published in 2013. And at the time, my publisher, while they were fantastic to work with, I didn't see a discernible marketing plan. So for me, you know, when I look back and I still get emails from clients who've read, or not clients, just random parents who've read that book and said, this is really helpful. Mm. Um, I just got two this week, in fact. So it's clearly, you know, been a helpful resource for people, but um, and it really it made mm. me think outside of just being a clinician in a traditional yeah. sense, but using the writing skills. And I do well with deadlines. Like that's, 
Yeah. That's really helpful for me to have the structure of a publisher. The the publishing piece is interesting because um, like a little over a year ago or so, I, I have maybe like half a book written and uh, I was talking to publishers and I had a writing, like a book coach and all these people. And the biggest thing in talking to these publishers is like you said, uh, they don't really have a plan or they're not going to throw the money at it to really market your book. <laughs> if mm-hmm. anything, they want to see that you have some sort of platform or are going to market it or are going to basically make this thing go so that they can be profitable in publishing it for you and distributing it for you. But beyond that, it's kind of like, you know, some people think, well, I'm, you know, I need to, I'm going to write a book so that I can make it big or whatever it is, where it's almost like, you know, make it big so you can write a book. <laughs> and then if yeah, you want to work I with a publisher with you. versus, you know, something independent. I do have to say, like, professionally having a book made a difference to my credibility with clients and also made a difference with me having some opportunities to do public speaking. Mm -hmm. So that really was helpful for me. But I agree, publishers are more likely to look to you to write a book if you have a nice platform. So my second book, which was just published in February of 2020, which is called Adolescence A Parent's Guide, that book you know, this publishing company approached me last summer and I, you know, they just said, we really want somebody to write a book like this. They had a very definitive plan for it. Like they had a budget, they had a word count. They knew there was, um, they didn't really pick the specific topics in the book, but they had some general things about adolescence and, mm-hmm. you know, kids testing limits and things like that. And I said, well, how did you, you know, how did you find me? Like what, what led you to me? Because I, I don't have a million followers on mm-hmm. Instagram. And they said, we just, we have a whole research team that looks at mm-hmm. a whole bunch of variables. Like you're well-educated, you have an established business, you've already been a published author, you know, you do have a presence online, whether mm-hmm. it's the, you know, occasional video I do, or just posting regularly on various mm-hmm. social media platforms. And that was enough for them but they had a very specific marketing plan mm-hmm. and they talked about it six weeks out from publication. You know, they had full of ideas and prompts and support and check-ins and data and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that was a really positive experience for me, especially being that I'm pretty data-driven too, to see how methodical they were about marketing it. It's interesting when you think about the content of the book, um, you said it's the first one was a lot of like things that you find yourself saying a lot with clients, right? And families. And I think that's really the perfect place to start um, for any sort of content, right? Or for therapists, therapists listening and thinking like, I don't know what to write about, what to make videos or podcasts about. And I think that's the perfect place to start, right? Most therapists, they have some kind of catchphrases. They have some metaphors they use in therapy. They have some kind of rules of thumb or whatever it is, right? Some kind of off-the-cuff advice for clients or whatever. And um, just making a list of that stuff and starting to, to, to write about it or talk about it is like infinite content ideas. And it's original or pretty much original, you know, which I think is also good um, because the maybe not every idea in the world is original. It could be argued that no idea is original. But Mm -hmm. for instance, like if I just write a blog post about CBT, you know, there's, there's not much original or compelling about that versus if I write a blog post about the first time I had a panic attack and the way I got through it or whatever, right. Or, you know, this, this one, this lesson that I learned about anxiety through martial arts, 
something like that. Like that, that's more interesting, right? That's more compelling. It's, it also, it, it's going to be a better relationship building tool for consumers, right? For people reading that or whatever and learning more about the content uh, itself and learning more about me. So there's like a lot of ways to, to leverage that. Well, um, having it be relatable is really important. And then also knowing your audience, because what I would write for parents might be different than what I would write if I were speaking to therapists. And it's, of course, there's definitely some overlap, but it is something that as I'm working more on creating webinars and online courses, I'm realizing, you know, these really are two different populations. And even though there's therapists out there who are parents, like I am, and so they're navigating some of these things in sort of a dual way, at the end of the day, you know, what what is this going to be speaking to? What pain point? What am mm-hmm. I going to relieve by giving them the certain knowledge base? And with both of the books that I've already written, there has been a portion of them where I'm relating them back to personal experience, mm-hmm. you know, an anecdote with my own children so yeah. that people understand, you know, because my audience with the books I've written have been parents. So they know, like, I've been through this. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of times when I work with other clinicians or I have colleagues who are working, doing parent coaching, and they don't have, and they're not parents themselves yet. And that's something like, there is a whole big slap in the face you get when you have your own kids and you realize like, oh, this isn't quite as cut and dried or mm-hmm. what happened, what worked with kid one does not work with kid two. And mm-hmm. I have to be responsive as a parent, which means any therapist who work, works with them has to be responsive as a therapist. Right, exactly. So yeah, it's complicated, but having some sort of vision and, and you mentioned too, like thinking about ideas that you commonly say, it's really great if you can get into a collaborative relationship with other professionals who know you well enough to tell you like, yeah, you're on the right track or "Eh, that one doesn't feel relatable or that's not really your best work or something like that. So I think for me with my first book, I didn't have the same close knit sense of colleagues that I do now, but I did have a really communicative editor. So she would kind of listen to me as I would say, all right, this is how we want to conceptualize it. So that book, I really had to come up more like it was, it was more from scratch. And so I had to create almost like a model. It was like a pie. And then each chapter was tackling a piece of the pie. And Mm -hmm. then that pie forms, you know, a child that is well-adjusted and has appropriate boundaries. And so that was something that, you know, together we were able to navigate a bit. And had I done it by myself, I just don't think it would have been as high of a quality. And so now as I progress through my career and I realize which colleagues out there really have your back and we all learn Mm -hmm. from each other, that is completely changes the landscape of your business. Mm. And as a school psychologist, you very much work in team format. Mm -hmm. Everything is multidisciplinary. So that keeping that like team mind was not a a difficult transition. But of course the team that I created to be my close contacts obviously it looks very different now. And since they're all business owners, they're able to look at it from the clinical side and the business side and realize that they, you know, how they intermingle can really make the difference on whether or not you're providing a high quality service and having like your own sanity and high quality Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. It's interesting because this is something I've started to preach a good bit with you guys in business made human is uh, having, or at least working on your own model of therapy or of coaching or whatever you're doing. Um, you, you know, you, I, I look at other people out there and I look at people who have their own model and it's, 
some therapists are like, well, what gave them the right to do that? Or they can do that because they went to this school or they can do that because they wrote this book. And it's like, well, who gave them permission to write that book? No one, they just did it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, so I'm going through the Terry real training right now, his like relational life therapy model. And um, again, no idea is purely original, but his model and the way he packages it together and his personality, you know what I mean? And kind of his brand essentially is infused into it. And it's about, again, the way it's packaged together that makes it unique, right? It's kind of like a house is built of all the same elements, mm-hmm. but it's just put together in a different way, a different style, a different um, kind of touch on it. And so I encourage, you know, all therapists at least think about what is their model and don't say it's just CBT or just psychodynamic or whatever. Um, because again, you, you, you probably have a brand of therapy. Why not actually create a brand out of it? Call it something, call your model something, pull out seven modules, pull out seven steps to your model, right? Roughly and just start playing with it and have fun with it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, yeah, no, I'm giving you permission to do that, you know, for, for the folks listening. Um, there's just a lot of upside to doing it, you know, in terms of building your brand, building your uh, kind of equity. Um, and uh, yeah, and clients like some structure, they like a format to follow, you know, so if I have like a really powerful way of treating panic attacks, then I want to kind of put that together and show clients that we're on, you know, maybe we're on step two of five or whatever, because it also demonstrates that, hey, I know what I'm doing. And I've got some sort of scaffolding here that we can work with because guess what what we're doing is largely very subjective in therapy and coaching and working with families and all this stuff right so i just think it's really cool to be building that really be building your brand um so so we got a few more minutes left here but i i also want to hear more about the the things you've done to 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 kind of scale beyond just your practice and as you're getting into things like podcasting and webinars and courses and all that fun stuff that I like to push you guys to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I found that even though I don't have extensive experience with public speaking where I'm, you know, doing public speaking every week or anything like that, when you go and you have the opportunity, like for me, my audience is oftentimes schools where I go and talk to, you know, parents at schools or teachers at schools. And over time, I started to think, okay, once again, I'm still I'm saying these same things over and over, and there's certain topics that I really prefer to talk about that I feel like have the highest amount of need. Those are pretty easy to translate into webinars because you're taking this prepared speech that you might speak for, let's say, two hours. And of course, you have that broken down into some cohesive sections and things like that. And then when you go to translate it over to a webinar and you fill in the gaps or you adjust it slightly to account for the audience that you're speaking to, the whole process becomes much less intimidating, especially if you get some support on the tech end where you figure out, you know, how do I, how do I host this? You know, how, do, how can I present this to a client that has a really flow isn't you know, the sort of guaranteed to get the information where it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And and then you might finesse some pricing and you might finesse timing or how it's presented or marketing. And I try to go into it with like, it's going to be okay. Like if I try something and it doesn't work out, as long as it's true to what I believe as a clinician and I'm doing right by people, like we're good. Yeah. If, and if, if it means I need to shift something later and change up marketing or how I present mm-hmm. it, like I'll do that. I'll adjust. And with me having the ability to have a strong practice, it does give you 
the ability to be flexible about, okay, do I need to hire a VA mm-hmm. or do I want to buy this program that would be helpful or take this you know, online course so that I can become a better editor of my podcast? Um, and like I said, for me, I really like projects. I like doing the webinars. I like writing the books. And then now I'm doing the podcast. And that started as a project during quarantine. And within a short period of time, I started talking about it constantly at home. And then I was like, oh, I kind of wish you would do it with me to my daughter. And she's like, I'll do it with you. And so now it's been this fantastic project. And as much as we've had so much support from listeners, I really dig the experience of working with my daughter. I take it super seriously as far Mm -hmm. as teaching her how to be professional. We do a lot of research on the topics we talk about. Mm -hmm. And that's really fun to watch her learn. You know, she was like, how come you're not pressuring more to be doing all this learning during quarantine? And I was like, oh, you have no idea how much you've learned. Like, exactly. It's been under the guise of a podcast, but you know all about, you know, different Mm. parenting styles and, you know, what certain psychological terms are and Mm. you know how to explain them and you had to take notes on them. And then you learned how to use the editing software business too right she's learning how this fits into your business and And she's been part of some of the marketing meetings where we talk about how are we going to let people know about this podcast how are we going to make sure it's Mm -hmm. focused enough to attract our ideal clients Mm -hmm. but still has that relatability for other people who who might not be parents but still find the helpful the information helpful before we forget to let people know exactly that you know uh, the name of your podcast and where they can find it and everything, and maybe a little bit about the format too. That's yeah. Unique. My podcast is called One Day You'll Thank Me, and I'm the host, and I co host it with my daughter, Anna. And so she's a teenager, she's a high school student. And we have a mix of episodes where some of the episodes are solo episodes. And by solo, I mean Anna and I are doing it together, and we pick a topic, we talk about it, it's well researched, it's very focused on giving. Um, practical strategies for parents and families. And then we also have episodes which include a guest expert. And so we, I will find an expert that I either know in real life or I will just email them out of the blue and say, I'd like to hear more about it. And it's all sorts of topics. We had a conversation with a college admissions counselor about how parents could support their kids as they're applying to college. I talked to Um, a sex addiction therapist about how to be protective of your teens when it comes to pornography. We've talked about high achieving anxiety. We've talked about sensory issues with an occupational therapist. Upcoming episodes, we have a divorce lawyer. We have um, a retired DEA agent. Like I'm really trying to give a real breadth of topics Mm. and give, I mean, they're, they're not super long episodes. They're somewhere between 25 in 45 minutes typically, but the goal is that parents will listen to them. And then the episodes that they feel their kids will relate to, that they'll say, hey, while we're driving to soccer practice, let's turn this on and talk about some of these things that are on this podcast and start that conversation together. It's a fantastic experience. It's relentless because you're giving a high quality episode every week. Yeah. But I'm at a place in my practice where I can afford to get help. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a VA who works specifically on the podcast. My daughter helps with editing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of information out there. If you have a question, a lot of Facebook pages that offer support. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been a highlight of my year. That's awesome. It's an investment as well. I mean, a lot of therapists who get into something like podcasting, they they quit too soon before they would have actually seen some tangible results for their business, you know. Uh, when I started doing this show, I don't know when it was, man, never, well, probably over two years ago, a hundred and some episodes ago, 
almost 200 episodes ago, like, um, you know, it wasn't doing much for my business. It wasn't really going very far. It wasn't getting a lot of downloads. And then at some point, the growth is, uh, it's not linear, you know, it's not just inching up. It's like pretty much nothing <laughs> for quite a while. And then it shoots up and then it jumps around a lot, right? But um, it's it's still a fantastic platform. It's still... Um, uh, one of the fastest growing platforms in the world. And it's a very intimate platform too. There's, I get people all the time. I just got on the phone with the therapist last week who was like, you know, just excited to talk to me. I was like, wow, this feels like I know you. It feels mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, we're friends or whatever. And that's the kind of unique connection you can create with podcasting and not necessarily with things like blogging or even videos. So um, it's it's really neat. And it's, if you go into it with the right perspective of I'm going to stick with this, I'm going to grow this, I'm going to enjoy the process, right? Whether I'm getting a million downloads or, or 10, uh, I'm going to enjoy the process and keep learning. So yeah, you do kind of have yeah. to like it, like the actual process of creating a podcast, yeah. like books. I mean, writing comes easily to me, but to me, it's a task to get through. Like I have yeah. to write these chapters. I always complain about it. And procrastinate and a huge whiner and I have to get a pep talk from my best friend and be like, she's like, do your edits. Podcasting for me, like it is a much more enjoyable experience generally. I think some of it is you get immediate gratification. Your mm-hmm. your episodes posted, people leave comments on Facebook or they send you a question mm-hmm. or some validating yeah. thing. Whereas a book, it's like, oh, I'm going to write it. And then six months or maybe a year later, something's, you know, this book's going to be out and then by then you've kind of moved on mm-hmm. and so it just it, the the media gratification isn't as as intense as it is with podcasting mm. but if you start a podcast and you hate everything about it personally and you might feel differently about this but it is too much work to keep doing if it's you like hate anything it. it's like if you mm-hmm. become a therapist and it's <laughs> and if you don't like it enough it's gonna it's gonna well, suck especially I with mean, but you don't have the immediate financial reinforcer either, at That's least true. with, if you have a tough client, you're like, all right, well, at the end of the hour, I, I, I was paid. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully. with podcasting, like there's the podcasting, which for me is really enjoyable, but it's mm-hmm. some of the other things, which is the marketing or finding sponsors. Oh, or, sucks. Yeah, yeah, translating I, I it into, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can get support yeah. with that too. You can. And it's uh, ultimately, it's just a medium through which to accomplish your mission, right? So it's like, people are always really surprised to hear that I actually, I, I don't like, for instance, digital marketing for therapists is not my passion. It's not like what fires me up. It's not like my true love. Um, it's it's the way, it's a medium through which I can best serve therapists by helping them and helping them helps them help more people. And that helps me accomplish my mission by saying the word help too many times. But that <laughs> ultimately, you know what I mean? That's that's just the way that I get there. That's the way I work toward the mission of helping therapists. And um sometimes the medium or the process to get there is arduous and uh you know nitpicky and uh um uh, can be very difficult and a slow build. But if you have a, a vision that's strong enough, a mission and a vision that's strong enough, then it'll be worth it, you know, mm-hmm. or you just enjoy it. And even if it's not something that works out, you enjoy what you're doing and you learn from the process. It's cliche, but it's really true, like really learning to enjoy the process. So, But um, that's also where yeah. you also need to be efficient with your time too. Like you can do enjoyable mm-hmm. things, but if it's not going to really have a huge impact on your clients or it's not going to further your business, 
you know, keep that in mind, keep that mm-hmm. in the broad scope of your, your vision for your, for your business mm-hmm. so that you don't get distracted by other things or, or think, but I'm a mish- on a mission to do this. And then it ends up being like a handicap for your business. Yeah. Um, Cause I think we can do that as we can get distracted. Like one of the things when I was in graduate school as a school psychologist, and they talked about the different roles that school psychologists have as a person who does assessments, we do consultation, we do counseling. But I remember my professor like writing those three words and then like scratching it out in a really like theatrical way and saying, our job as school psychologists is to give psychology away. Everybody you come into contact within the school building, you are leaving behind a piece of information so that they can use that with their students in another setting when you're not there. And I, that really made a mark. I mean, his theatrics really embed themselves in my brain. And so now given that I, so much of my work is working this one-on-one relationship with families, of course mm-hmm. I'm charging for my services, but the podcast, not everybody who listens to the podcast is going to be involved in any kind of income generating you know, aspect, but it is my way of giving psychology away and it's really fulfilling, but I'm also at a place in my career where I can do that without sacrificing my mental health Mm -hmm. or the services I provide to other people. So it's like, I feel very lucky in that way. Yeah. Well, I feel quite lucky to, to work with you and to know you <laughs> Same here. Really, really fun to see you, see you grow and, and take, you know, take on projects and take risks over time with your business. Because again, like if anything, I see therapists not taking enough risks and just being willing to try something, whether it's a course or a webinar or a podcast or raising your fees and, and you, that's never been the problem for you. And in fact, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you say you have an idea, you go do it. You don't just sit on it for a year, which is like my pet peeve. And um, that that is like one of the true markers, I think, of an entrepreneur is that willingness to keep taking action. And um, some people have it, some people don't, or maybe some people have it and some people need to keep fostering that that ability to lean into it, to try things, to have setbacks, right? To, um, to there keep can be a lot of sh- so. shaming in our field though. You know, we've talked about this, how there's times if you try this new thing or you put a price point on something that you're doing, like it can be presented as though somehow you're not really in it to help people. Yeah, and you're, you're but greedy, these are your money grabbing, you're mm-hmm. but these are often the same people who are either super burnt out or they can't make the car payment. And like yeah, exactly. I can't help people when I'm in that position. Like I I yeah. I need to feel yeah. empowered as an individual and as a provider for my family. And then I'm going to take that confidence and feeling of self-worth and translate it to my clients. Because a lot of my clients, of course, are really struggling with those things because their kids are struggling. Well, it's like bullying, right? I mean, I see it all as projection, right? Anytime that I get, have to take shit from, from therapists online, which is weekly at this point, unfortunately, it's, I usually just kind of see it through that lens of projection or through, you know, the bully is usually like the hurt kid who wants to hurt people because uh, he or she feels small and um, wants to cut other people down or wants to cut people who are successful down. So if you can see that, you can kind of rise above it and it'll be worth it. But you're right. Like the, the shaming around therapists is profound for whatever reason we need to in that now. Um, but it shouldn't stop you from continuing to put yourself out there. So I think, that's yeah, you really need to shut lesson. off those voices and, yeah. and, and recognize what there's different versions of helping people, but I don't really know that any of the versions have to include sacrificing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tara, this has been a fun one. 
And um, to wrap things up, how can people find out more about you? And um, yeah, wh- wh- what should they do next? Well, I would refer everyone to my website, drtaraegan.com. And Egan is spelled E-G-A-N. And I really also encourage people to join me on Facebook and Instagram and tune into my podcast, One Day You'll Thank Me. You can find it on all the popular podcasting platforms. I would love it if somebody would tune in, leave a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts or, you know, forward an episode to a friend. And, you know, if there's a topic that you'd like to learn more about, you know, leave that comment because I really do want it to be reflective of the interests and the questions that parents have. Mm -hmm. Love it. Tara, thanks again for being here and uh, look forward to seeing you very soon. Thanks, John. There you have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Leave us a review wherever you are listening and share your favorite episode with a friend or two. Why not? Um, Like I said in the beginning, uh, I'll be publishing a little less often uh, lately uh, as I just deal with life and everything that's coming at me right now. But uh, before too long, we'll get back on our weekly schedule. Anyway, that's all for now. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Have a great week. Keep doing great work out there in the world, and I'll see you real soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.